Welcome to the Scientific Sense podcast, where we explore emerging ideas from science, policy, economics, and technology. My name is Gil Epen. We talk with world's leading academics and experts about their recent research or general areas of topical interest. Scientific Sense is an unstructured conversation with no agenda or preparation. We cover a wide variety of domains where new discoveries are made and new technologies are developed on a daily basis. We are most interested in how new ideas affect society and help educate the world how to pursue a rewarding and enjoyable life rooted in science, logic, and information. We seek knowledge without boundaries or constraints and provide unedited content of conversations with researchers and leaders who love what they do. A companion blog to this podcast can be found at scientificsense.com and this podcast is available on over a dozen platforms and directly at scientificsense.net. If you have suggestions for topics, guests, and other ideas, please send them to info at scientificsense.com and I can be reached at gil at epen.info. My guest today is Professor Vikram Gadagar, who is Assistant Professor of Neuroscience at Columbia University. His research focuses on learning, memory, and computation. Welcome, Vikram. Ah, great to be here, Gil. Yeah, so thanks for doing this. I want to start with one of your papers entitled Dopamine Neurons Encode Performance Error in Singing Birds. Yeah. Um, and you say many behaviors are learned through tried and error by matching performance to internal goals, yet uh-huh. neural mechanisms of performance evaluation remain poorly understood. Um, yeah, and this has always been uh, sort of a mystery, right? Uh, you know, yeah. we have these deep learning uh, networks in the, in the artificial intelligence world. And... Um, Performance evaluation uh, is is always a, a difficult thing uh, in silicon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you have an experiment here in uh, singing birds that might give us some insights. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, so actually, let me let me give you a little bit of uh, context for this, yeah. right? So so yeah, so as you mentioned practice or trial and error learning is extremely important and we do it all the time. So, you know, I don't know, do you, do you play music? Do you play music or sports or anything like that? Uh, I used to play some sports, but not, not much music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you're, you know, even just learning how to speak or play a musical instrument or anything like that, we know that practice is extremely important. We're not, we're not born being able to perform these tasks and we learn them by practice or trial and error. And the, and the question we were interested in is how does the brain actually get better with practice, right? So what, what happens in the brain while you're practicing? And so the way we think about practice, I'm gonna use trial and error and practice sort of interchangeably. Yeah. And that's because when we're practicing, what we're really doing is a sen- in a sense, trial and error. So let's say you're trying to Play, play the piano, you're trying to practice a piece on the piano, you, so you play something and then you listen to yourself play and then you ask yourself, did I do the right thing, right? And if you did the right thing, then you want to do the same thing again. But if you did not play the right note, then you don't want to repeat your mistakes. So, so there's a trial phase and then there's a comparison and then there's an error phase. Right, right. Right? And so one big question that you can ask if this is true, that if you're actually learning by trial and error, one question you can ask is, where is the error signal, Mm. right? So there must be some part of your brain that contains this error signal that tells the rest of the brain whether you did a good job or not. Yeah, really, really fascinating. So uh, for for that to work, um, for the brain to identify something to be an error, there yeah. be a, a, an expectation, right? Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, absolutely. And so is it, is it uh, you know, I'm, I, 
people don't like uh, being uh, going back to the computing world but uh, yeah. you know we have a similar sort of a process in uh, in neural networks you know artificial neural networks where right. uh, you know you 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 train it and uh, you look at the errors uh, and and those errors give you guidance as to how to train better and exactly it sounds like the brain is doing something sort of similar yeah exactly so i think let me yeah so let me answer your first question about what the birds are actually doing yeah. and and that will re- that will connect us to what we can do with uh, you know artificial neural networks yeah. so so going back to the question of you know how do we find this error signal the way we went about doing this was we used the the songbird so these are zebra finches that we study yeah. as a, as a model system and the reason zebra finches are such a good model system to understand trial and error learning is because they also seem to learn their song by trial and error yeah so when a baby finch is born it doesn't know how to sing all it can do is babble just like a human <laughs> infant and it turns out that the father finch sings a song to the baby finch mm. and the baby listens to the father's song remembers the father's song yeah. and then starts babbling in an attempt to make a copy of the father's song mm. and after 2 to 3 months o- over the course of 2 or 3 months the babbling progressively gets better and better and at the end of that time the the finch is able to sing very similar to how the father used to sing are the phones right? uh, do they have information with them or uh you know is is it just a just a just a song are they actually communicating through the songs ah so that's a great question and uh, yeah and actually we, I, we we should yeah that's more uh, in you know we could speculate on on that yeah. maybe a little bit later uh, but that's a great question in terms of what what information content is in the song yeah. and what are they actually trying to communicate and some of our future research directions are are actually going to be looking into that um especially in terms of what you know the so the so going back to the song the the reason these birds learn to sing is so they can ultimately attract a female right so in this species only males sing yeah and females don't sing and so the male learns his song and he sings to a female and to attract the female it's a courtship song yeah. right and so you can ask you know what what does the female what is the female looking for in the song and what does she find attractive but i think uh, we should uh, you know we should come back to that a uh, little bit later after we after i've sort of addressed your first question yeah um so it, sorry go ahead it makes uh, sort of intuitive sense so there there is a lot of cost cost here right the 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 baby is spending a lot of time Mm-hmm. by by trial and error trying to learn this obviously there there is a utility here uh and right. uh and one utility obviously in as you as you mentioned uh, is a courtship um courtship requirement and then the question of whether there's additional information in there is still being investigated uh yeah. so going back to the paper then um you're finding So so before we get to the details uh, what exactly are dopamine neurons Yeah so dopamine dopamine is 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 what you might call a neurotransmitter yeah. um so it's it's a chemical that is released by certain neurons in the brain right and so these neurons that release this chemical dopamine are called dopamine neurons or dopaminergic neurons and you know there are other neurotransmitters in the brain there are you know you have glutamate for example that's excitatory and there's gaba which is often inhibitory and uh, these are the more common neurotransmitters but dopamine is what you might call a neuromodulator yeah. so dopamine can have downstream effects on other neurons that receive this chemical um and so it can modulate the neural activity of downstream neurons and you might have heard you know in dopamine has been uh, popularized in the media as a as a happiness chemical if you will so yeah dopamine has received a lot of a uh, lot of interest in the last uh, few years uh, because it's involved in motivation it's involved in in trial and error learning and it seems to be involved in a lot of different aspects of brain function so there is a, some sort of a reward 
reward mechanism, right? The brain likes uh, dopamine. Exactly. And- exactly. So, yeah. Sorry. Go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. Yeah, you you touch upon a very important point, and in fact, this is the reason that we did this experiment in Songbird. So this was the 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 reward aspects of dopamine was the motivation for us to do this experiment. So let me briefly tell you what was known about dopamine. So so there were classic experiments as early as 1950s uh, by Olds and Milner that showed that if you if you allow a rat to self stimulate his own dopamine neurons yeah. he he likes that very much. So let's say you you put a rat in a box with a lever and if he presses the lever he gets to self stimulate his own dopamine neurons. Rats love doing that. And in fact they like it so much that they keep pressing the lever to the exclusion of everything else they don't want to eat they don't want to have sex they just keep pressing the lever and some rats have you know are known to even die because they just don't do anything else it's, right so sort of sorry it's it's addictive uh, yes exactly it can become addictive so it's so rewarding that it can become addictive and then the next big clue to what dopamine might be doing came from classic experiments from Wolfram Schultz and colleagues uh, working on monkeys that showed that dopamine neurons encode what is called a reward prediction error. So like, what do I mean by that? So let's say you have a thirsty monkey, right? And if the thirsty monkey unexpectedly gets some juice, so he's not expecting juice, but he's very thirsty and suddenly unexpectedly he gets a little bit of juice if this happens then his dopamine neurons show an increased activation right so his dopamine neurons fire to unexpected rewards yeah similarly if the monkey is expecting a reward but he does not get it mm-hmm. right in that case the same dopamine neurons stop firing so they're suppressed right so you can think of it as whenever something unexpectedly good happens these neurons increase their firing and when something unexpectedly bad happens they decrease their firing and usually in terms of external rewards like food or juice or stuff like that yeah so so i was thinking vikram from an evolutionary perspective it is not clear why this uh, maybe maybe I, i'm i'm not understanding so if if the brain gets some sort of a reward mechanism fired uh, an yeah. unexpected outcome uh, yeah. it doesn't have any sort of conditioning effect right does it have survival benefits that we can think of if it is you know if the if the input was totally unexpected yeah no i think that's a great question and i think it does i think it is i think it's a very clever system that actually uses this this expectation uh, and i think it will be easier for me to explain why why it is so if i uh, if we talk about yeah if we talk about the, the songbird experiment and then it will it will sort of follow yeah. from that so so the question we wanted to know was so let me let me take a step back and just say that the reason this idea of a reward prediction error was is so important in neuroscience is because we think that this is a learning signal yeah. right so so let's say you have a you have a rat in a box again and there's a lever right and whenever the rat presses the lever he gets a little he gets a food pellet right now if you do this experiment if you just put a rat in a box with a lever and you let him be he's going to try various things and he's going to figure out by trial and error that he should press the yeah. lever right now how does this happen so he's exploring the cage he doesn't know what's going on he you know he does various things and by chance he presses mm-hmm. the lever mm-hmm. the moment he presses the lever he gets a little bit of food right. that causes this dopamine spike and what the dopamine increase is telling the brain is whatever you just did was great do that again so dopamine has a reinforcing effect yeah. on whatever the rat just did that's, and that's why it's involved in reinforcement learning as you were mentioning earlier. yeah yeah so 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 does it have a memory effect also vikram so i'm going back to 
uh, Homo sapiens 50,000 years ago, uh, by yeah. accident, um, you know, he, fought, he or she found a, a water hole. And, yes. and prior to that, you know, they looked for a big tree or something. And so there's a set of features uh, that reinforces that uh, the probability of finding water has increased or something along those lines, right? So, yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. So what we think, what, you know, neuroscientists think is going on is that what dopamine is able to do is it is able to connect the context mm-hmm to the outcome. So the context, the action, and the outcome. So in your example, so let's say, let's say they were, you know, as you said, Homo sapiens thousands of years ago, they were wandering around in the savanna or whatever, right? And they saw a snake, right? And and how do how do you learn that a snake is dangerous, right? So so looking at the snake is the context. Right. Right. So and then let's say let's say there was this person who had no idea if snakes were good or bad and he happened to touch the snake just you know because of exploration and the snake bit him yeah and then it was it was very painful so so the idea is that looking at the snake is the context yeah. the action is touching the snake yeah. and the outcome is is the pain that that was caused by the bite so when there is an unexpected pain, that can lead to a suppression in dopamine, yeah. right? And so the next time this person sees the snake, he is less likely to touch the snake. So, so dopamine uh, is sort of uh, either positively or negatively reinforcing. Exactly, exactly. So you can, exactly. So you can flip this and you can say, Let's say the same person is walking along in the forest and he sees a mango, right? Like a like a bright mango, and he doesn't know what it is. So he takes the mango and he, you know, he bites into it, and suddenly he gets this burst of amazing flavor and sugar and and what have you. And that can lead to a positive effect, and that can lead to an increase in dopamine, right? And so the next time he sees the mango, he's more likely to bite into it. And so exactly as you said, dopamine can positively reinforce good or better than expected outcomes and negatively reinforce bad or worse than expected outcomes. And, and just this idea that you're getting either positively or negatively rewarded, I would imagine then has, uh, has, a, has an impact on memorization of that context, right? So, so you, you start, to, start to remember really good things, really good uh, situations and really bad situations. And over time, you learn about them. Exactly, exactly. So we think that in the brain, the context gets wired up to the right action. So the next time you find yourself in this context, you don't have to think about what to do. You're sort of, your brain automatically, you know, automatically gets you to do the action that was most beneficial in previous trials. Yeah, so uh, I don't know, this is an experiment. We'll, we'll talk about the, the experiment uh, in a minute. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if this is an experiment, but uh, let's say, you know, you have uh, many, many trials and, and the brain has learned something by trial and error. Once it right. has learned, um, one could imagine at least mechanistically the dopamine doesn't have to be there. Uh, or that is not true. Ah, so you're asking, so once you have learned yeah. something, then what happens, right? And so so I think what happens is that even, even after you learn something, you still have to maintain it, yeah. right? So for example, let's say you said you played some sports, right? So let's say, let's say you're learning how to play yeah. tennis, right? And you, you practice a lot and you become really good at it and you become a professional tennis player, right? Like, let's say like Serena Williams, right? She's a, she's a professional tennis player. And, but even Serena needs to keep practicing, yeah. right? If she stops practicing, then slowly her game will deteriorate, right? So even after learning to maintain the skill, you need to keep practicing. And that's what we find in the birds as well, that even after the birds have learned their song, they continue to sing, 
even when they're by themselves, they continue to sing. And what we think is going on is that we think that they're continuously practicing to maintain their song. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's return back to the paper. So this is singing. Yes. <laughs> and um, the, the context is that the, the father is singing to the, to the baby bird and uh, it doesn't get it right initially and over time, over many, many times. Exactly. Right. right. So during the experiment, you are actually measuring uh, the, the dopamine release or, or inhibition? Yes. So, okay. So here's the, 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 so the reason we did the experiment was we were asking, we were asking uh, a question about the function of dopamine, right? So what I told you so far, or at least in the earlier experiment, is that we already knew that dopamine was involved in this reward prediction error. So whenever you got food or juice that was unexpected, you had an increase in dopamine, yeah. right? And so scientists knew that dopamine was involved in reward-based trial and error mm -hmm. learning. The question we wanted to ask was, how does other kinds of learning happen? So for example, we were talking about learning to play the piano or learning to play tennis or learning to speak, right? We don't do these things for primary rewards like food or juice, right? You don't learn how to speak better for juice rewards, or you don't learn how to play tennis better for food rewards, right? These are sort of naturally learned motor sequences that are learned by comparing ongoing performance to some internal standards, right? And so the question we were interested in is, does dopamine also play a role in the natural learning of such behaviors that have nothing to do with immediate food or juice rewards. Right. Right. And Zebra Finch, the, songs, the songbird is a great system to answer this because Zebra Finches learn how to sing not for food or juice rewards, right? They, they have an internal template, which is the father's song, which they remember, and they are trying to achieve that song. So they're trying to make a copy of that song by learning how to sing. And so so that's so that's sort of the, the question. And coming back to what you were asking in terms of what we actually yeah. did. Okay, so so what did we have to do? So we had to record from these specific dopamine neurons that we had hypothesized might encode what we later call a, a performance prediction error instead of a reward prediction yeah. error. We had to record from these neurons while the birds are singing but we also had to do something else. We had to fool the birds into thinking that they made a mistake. Right, yeah. <laughs> right? Because if you're looking at very young birds, it's not clear whether they're making a mistake or not. And you know, so what we decided is that we would study adult birds that have already learned their song, but we would fool them into thinking that they made a mistake. Yeah. And the way we did that was we used a technique called distorted auditory feedback. So the idea is very simple. So let's say the bird has you know, four syllables, A, B, C, D, for example. That sounds like chikwa'an, that's, that's what it sounds like. And what we did is we take a part of a different syllable. So for example, you can take the first part of syllable A that sounds like ch, and play it over syllable D yeah. using a speaker, right? So now the bird is singing along and he's singing chikwa'an, 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 chikwa'an. But what he is actually hearing is depending on whether or not we distorted syllable D with feedback. Yeah, yeah. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. and so yeah. Uh, so the 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 feedback. Um, so it has to be sort of instant feedback, right? Uh, for it to recognize that is the sound it just made. Yeah, exactly. So what we do is that while the bird is singing, we are recording the bird's yeah. song and we have a computer that is analyzing the bird's song in real yeah. time. And we know exactly when syllable D is going to happen. Mm. And just before that, we toss a coin and if it's heads, we distort syllable D and if it's tails, we leave it alone. Okay. So half the time we distort it, half the time we don't. And the bird has no way of knowing whether it's going to be distorted or not. Right. Okay. Okay. And so, okay. So, so you have sort of a control and you have a, a distorted signal going back. 
and, and so, uh, so, so what do you find? What, what's the difference between the two? Yeah, exactly. So now the, so now the question is, what do the dopamine neurons yeah. do when the song is distorted? Because the idea is that the bird clearly does not want to listen to a distorted syllable because it sounds different from what he wants to hear. So it sounds wrong. And do the dopamine neurons do anything special when this happens, right? That's the question. Yeah. So we recorded these dopamine neurons and we found that these dopamine neurons shut down their firing. So they're immediately suppressed yeah. after a distortion. So when the bird hears a distorted syllable, dopamine neurons are suppressed, which is exactly what you know, we, would, we would have predicted based on the, on the reward prediction error idea, except now, there's no there's no external reward right it's just uh, it's just that the bird the bird's performance did not match what it wanted to make right 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 so so this was so yeah so this was very interesting but you can ask now this is great but what do the neurons do when the bird heard a syllable that was not distorted so when the bird heard an undistorted syllable what happens, yeah. right? And here we found that the neurons actually increase their activity mm -hmm. when the bird heard an undistorted syllable. Now this, this can be a little surprising, right? Because we didn't do anything to the song, right? right? The, we, we, the song was completely untouched. It heard a syllable D that was you know, perfectly produced and yet the dopamine neurons increase their firing from their baseline. Yeah. And so why does that happen? And that's where we get back to your earlier question about expectation. Yeah. So what we think is going on is because we were distorting syllable D half the time, the expected quality of syllable D had been lowered for the bird. Yeah. Yeah. So the bird now does not expect to sing syllable D well all the time, right? And so now when it hears an undistorted syllable D, even though it was completely untouched, it actually sounds better than expected to the bird. Mm -hmm. And that is what is being signaled by this increased dopamine activity on undistorted syllables. Mm. Yeah, that, that is really interesting. So uh, coin toss, so essentially you have an environment now, the bird has an expectation of 50% of, of exactly. a good signal and 50% of a bad signal. Exactly. And it hears yeah. a good signal. It has a, a, a sample, you know, at hundred percent, and it's getting positive reinforcement and exactly. negative side. Otherwise, so so this is a system, Vikram. So essentially, it, it is what what you're proving here is that um, it's a system that allows um, whether it's a bird or a human. Uh, to learn from practice, to learn from trial and error, it's exactly that you make mistakes uh, as you as you learn. Uh, but when you do it correctly, you get a get a boost. When you do it incorrectly, you don't. And over yes. time, uh, that that should lead you to a to a better learning posture. That is idea. That exactly. So there are two. There are two sort of important points here, yeah. right? So the first point is exactly as you said. So the, the first point is that dopamine is involved in natural trial and error learning, yeah. independent of rewards. So independent of external rewards like food or juice. So this was sort of the first time that anyone had shown that dopamine-based reinforcement learning can happen without the involvement of primary rewards like food or juice. So that's the first sort of you know, important point here. The second, which you alluded to, is that the birds are not just comparing their song to an ideal template, but they're actually comparing their song to what they expect to sing. Right? And that, and that is again, that goes back to a question that you were asking earlier. Why, why is this expectation important? What is the, what is the purpose of having an expectation? Why not just compare it to the ideal? Right? And, if you, and if you think about it, I think this makes a lot of sense. So going back to our tennis 
analogy, right? Let's say you're learning to play tennis and you're working on your forehand. Now, it doesn't really make sense to compare your forehand to Serena's forehand, right? right? Because it's always going to be worse than Serena's forehand. <laughs> yeah. But it makes more sense to compare your forehand today to your forehand yesterday yeah. or how your forehand was last week. Right. Because then you can start asking, am I improving from where I was or am I getting worse from where I was? Right, right. And this will allow much greater sensitivity for learning than comparing it to an ideal that is very far away from where you are. Yeah, I, I wonder um, if there is any sort of tolerance that sets in over time. Uh, so, just, so just like you're describing, as I, as I become more and more expert at, at right. something, um, right. I, I, I actually, do, do I need less quantity of dopamine to, to marginally improve from, from where I am? I don't know yeah. if you need less dopamine, but I think what the system is allowing you to do is that you are now sensitive to small changes yeah. around this new mean, right. if you right. will, right? And so it is increasing your sensitivity to learning because otherwise what happens, right? If you're just looking at an error yeah. from an ideal, then every time you sing, you're just really bad compared to your ultimate goal, like, like for a baby bird, for example, right. right? And so your dopamine is always going to be suppressed and that's not very useful. Right. But if you have improved from yesterday, even though that is a small change, by comparing it relative to where you were yesterday, you are getting much higher sensitivity to, to performance changes. And I think that is the beauty of the system is that it allows you to make progress this way towards the ultimate goal. Right, right. And so, so again, going back to the bird experiment here, um, I, I don't know if this is in the paper, Vikram. So suppose you, you have you know, some sort of repeating pattern, A, B, C, D, uh -huh. A, B, C, D, A, B, C, uh, distorted D, and then A, B, C, D. So only the third sequence is distorted. And right. you do that you know, many, many times. So the bird now is thinking for whatever reason, it cannot do the third one. Um, and, and, and do you find it? So what I'm asking is, is there a difference between random underperformance to right. some, some sort of predictable underperformance? Right, that's a, that's a great question. So we, we haven't done that specific experiment. Yeah. And uh, it would be an interesting experiment to do. But the reason we did not do that particular experiment is we specifically wanted the distortions to be unpredictable. Yeah. So because we didn't want the birds to have a prediction of exactly what's going to happen in that syllable D, and we wanted it to be probabilistic. Yeah. But I think we did a different experiment that sort of gets, in, gets to your question in a different yeah. way. And, and, and it also gets, to your, uh, gets at your question about expectation. And this was the uh, two-target experiment that uh, we talk about uh, like after the first experiment. And so here the question is, so if it's true that they're actually developing an expectation of, of syllable D of their own performance mm -hmm. based on recent practice, then we should be able to change that expectation depending on how often we are distorting the syllable, yeah. right? So to test that, we did this, what we call a two-target experiment, where now we distort two different syllables, right? So we distort syllable B and we distort syllable D. But the difference is that we distort syllable B half the time, 50% of the time, just like before, yeah. but we distort syllable D only 20% of the time. Yeah. So the idea is that when the bird hears an undistorted syllable D, it's much less surprising for it because, you know, 80% of the time it's undistorted right. compared to when it hears an undistorted syllable B, which should be more surprising because that's only undistorted 50% of the time. Yeah. And so the prediction would be that there should be, you know, a higher dopamine 
burst when it listens to an understarted syllable B compared to an understarted syllable D. <laughs> so, and that's exactly what we found. And so this is suggesting that birds are indeed keeping track of their recent performance yeah. and developing their expectation based on that and comparing their ongoing performance to that recent performance metric. Yeah, it's a really complex um, modulation system, right? So this this gives new meaning to the phrase, there's somebody in my, my, my brain, but it's not me. <laughs> you know, I mean, there is a system that's essentially trying to make you better. Uh, right. And it doesn't appear to be a conscious system, right? It is, it is almost instinctual that it... Yeah, exactly. You get at a very interesting question there, actually. So I think what you're asking is... So what, uh, one interpretation of your question could be, you know, for example, when the bird happens to sing a note that's particularly nice, or, or let's say when it hears an undistorted D and it's, uh, you know, it's better than expected performance... Yeah. Does the bird actually feel happy as well? You know, does is there an is there an emotional valence associated with that, or is it all completely below the surface automatic learning? Right. right? And we don't really know the answer to this question. So we we don't know if the birds are actually feeling some sort of happiness and sadness when they do better or worse than expected. But we do know that the learning happens yeah because uh, there's also a memory question here right it has to it has to remember what it actually did to get a good result and so you have to store those instances that were good you know good actions and good outcomes uh with a right. higher uh, probability of retrieval in the future so there's there's definitely a memory question here too right or at least you need to store the the probability of doing well yeah. somewhere in the brain and and use that information to decide whether you want to have an increased dopamine or decreased dopamine and in fact one of my colleagues followed up on this work and he discovered that a different part of the brain is at, is involved in computing this expectation <laughs> right right yeah the brain is a scary place to be that's for sure it is. <laughs> we'll take a we'll take a quick break, Vikram. When we come back, we talk about your other paper. Uh, okay, sounds good. context in singing birds. This is a scientific sense podcast, providing unscripted conversations with leading academics and researchers on a variety of topics. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast, please reach out to info at scientificsense.com. So Vikram, we are back. Uh, we were talking about um, your paper on dopamine neurons and how they help um, learn uh, from a tried and error uh, uh, tried and error process um, or by practice and uh, we're talking about the zebra finch experiment um, you have another uh, another paper dopamine neurons change their tuning according to courtship context in singing birds yeah. um, you say attending to mistakes while practicing alone provides opportunities for learning uh, which we discussed in the first paper, but you say, but self-evaluation during audience-directed performance could distract from ongoing execution. So, so, so what do you find here? Yeah, exactly. Right. So this was, uh, so it was very like interesting what motivated this project. So, so as I was mentioning earlier, yeah, as you said, you know, we found that we found this error signal in dopamine neurons that seem to be important for practice. Yeah. And then when I was when I was telling my musician friends about this discovery, they told me that they treat mistakes that they make mm. very differently during practice and performance. <laughs> right. So so when they're practicing the song, they pay a lot of attention to their mistakes because they want to learn from their mistakes. Right. 
but when they have practiced their song and now it's you know it's the big day they're on stage and they're performing to an audience and then they make a mistake then they want to they don't want to pay a lot of attention to those mistakes they they might want to brush those mistakes under the carpet because you know the show must go on right yeah that that wouldn't there be sort of an audience feedback issue here too so if i use the audience reaction as a proxy for mistakes then that would imply that i have sort of external stimulus coming back to me right yes exactly and that is in fact something that we are looking at in the future so that's like the next direction that we are going in about you know what what does the audience actually do but many of these mistakes the audience might not even might not even realize uh, their mistakes yeah. right and and even if they do you might not want to obsess over those mistakes because that might that might genuinely affect your ongoing performance and so a lot of performers tell me that if they start thinking about the mistakes they made then you know they they ruin the rest of the song as well <laughs> and, <laughs> right uh, I, and I so the i can also see it from the another problem so if you perform in front of a sort of a non technical audience you yeah. don't quite pick up on mistakes you, right. you might actually uh, you might actually get worse <laughs> oh yeah no yeah for sure yeah for sure it's it's a it's a very complex uh, system right about how we learn and how we perform and how we get feedback and so we're trying to get at different elements in this process through through the songbird system and so so because my friends told me this and this sort of made intuitive sense if you will we we were we wanted to ask is this what happens in the birds yeah. and the reason we can ask this the reason the system is so well suited for such questions is again going back to what i was telling you earlier that the reason these male zebra finches learn to sing is so they can perform to a female yeah. right it's a courtship song so already in the system we have a practice mode and a performance mode built in and so it's perfectly suited to ask such questions right. and it even turns out that the the song itself is a little bit more variable from rendition to rendition when they're practicing hmm. compared to when they're performing so when they're performing the song becomes extremely stereotyped <laughs> which means that every time the bird sings a b c d he's singing it exactly the same when he's singing to a female but when he's practicing he's 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 a little bit more variable as though he's you know exploring the space a little bit for trial and error learning so the system really looks like it's uh, it, it it goes from a practice mode to a performance mode mm. and so our experiment now is record the same neurons yeah while the bird is practicing and then while the bird switches to performing to a female and see what happens to this error signal that we found in the practice mode right. and when we did this we found that the error signal that was there during practice was substantially reduced it became much smaller when the bird was performing to a female in line with what you would expect uh, based on what my musician friends told me so it in fact yeah sorry go ahead uh sorry vikram the error signal uh, uh meaning the the dopamine um action yeah so by error signal i mean that the increase in dopamine on undistorted syllables yeah. and the decrease in dopamine during dist after distorted syllables so basically the dopaminergic response to mistakes or worse or better than expected performance yeah. this this is what i'm calling the error signal and this is what we think is being used as a learning signal in trial and error yeah. this error signal becomes smaller and sometimes completely goes away yeah. when the birds are performing and then they make a mistake yeah so so two interesting observations right if i understand this correctly vikram one is yeah uh, when they perform they are making uh, it stereotyped it is it is very rigid so they have a template and they they just following the template uh, they try to reduce the variance uh, in yes. that template during performance and even if there is a variance if i understand you correctly even if there is a variance you don't actually 
uh, actually see uh, a neuron uh, positive or negative reinforcement, even if there is a variance, right? During practice uh, during performance. or performance? So during performance, oh, we, okay. So sorry, let me take a step back. So I think I wasn't clear about this. So we're still doing the same experiment. Yeah. So we are still distorting syllable D half the time, oh. right? So yeah, so whether they're practicing or they're performing, we are still introducing the same yeah. errors okay. half the time. But that we, the question we is, how more. does the brain respond to these errors? Yeah, yeah, exactly. In these two different contexts. Right, right. Yeah, so so that makes intuitive sense, I guess, right? Um, in some sense. So so what what is the what is your explanation of that? So what we think is going on is that this whole dopamine mediated, you know, reinforcement learning happens through this learning system, right? And it involves the basal ganglia and the cortex and the thalamus and the dopamine neurons. It's like a whole learning system in the yeah. brain. And we think that this system is optimized for learning during practice. Yeah. And when the bird switches from practice to performance, this learning system is turned off, if you will, to make the brain optimized for performance. Mm. So we think that in these two different states, the brain is optimized to, to do two different tasks. So in the human context, for example, if you think about like, you know, you're practicing a song, while you're practicing, your brain is optimized for learning. So you want to pay attention to your mistakes and you want to learn from them and you want to get better and better. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to learn. Yeah. But once you have learned and now you're on stage and you're performing, then that's then you don't want to be learning at that time. Right. On stage, you want to be putting out the best song that you've got, right? You want to be on your best game and you want to put out the best song that you possibly can. That's not the time to be learning. Yeah, it makes really intuitive sense. But from a, from a system perspective, it is really complex, right? Um, yes. And, and so... You know, it's a sort of uh, it's switching off the learning system while performing. One could, you know, one could argue a mistake in performance is very costly. And so, mm -hmm. if you have, you know, some sort of a long term learning process going on, meaning I screwed up here, but I'm going to get better next time around. Uh, I would ima imagine the learning system will, will continue to work, right? So, but that is not what you're finding in, in the con. Well, uh, so after after the performance, then you know you can go back to practice. So, so for example, in in the in this system, if we show a female to the so let's say a male bird is practicing, and then you show him a female, he immediately goes into this performance mode and sings his best song to the female, right? But then if you take away the female he goes back to practicing. So, it, you know, it, it never ends. So, so he goes back to practicing and he keeps improving and maintaining his song until he has the opportunity to sing again to a female. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, and this idea that you mentioned before that um, the, the practice mode is continuous. And so if you, if you don't switch it on, uh, even after you become an expert, if it is not right. functioning, then you you tend to lose that over time, right? So this this has always have to be there for it to. Work. Yes, I think it's. It, I think yes, I think I think it is actively maintained, and and in terms of it makes sense, right? Because, for example, I mean you could think of various reasons for this, but one reason is that let's say you've learned how to you know learned how to talk or how to sing, yeah. and then with age right? Your muscles change, yeah. right? Your, your different muscles become weaker. And so if you don't maintain a motor skill, then it, it's going to deteriorate. Yeah. Data, so you need to... Con yeah. yeah. So you're getting new data and um, not only new data, but also the, the reactions to the new data are all changing. So 
Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The, the data, that's very important. So for example, in the birds, if you deafen birds, so if you prevent them from listening to their own song, then over time, the song deteriorates. Right. So they need to keep listening to themselves to make sure that they're actually singing the way they want to. Right. Yeah, I don't know if you have thought about this, Vikram, but do these observations have some impact on policy from an education perspective? Do you see any? Ah, well, that's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, a, you know, that's a very broad and, and deep question. And obviously, it's not my area of expertise. But I will say that that getting the appropriate feedback, yeah. right? The appropriate feedback at the appropriate time mm -hmm. is extremely important for, uh, for, for efficient learning. And so people are actually using some of these such ideas to develop better sort of learn, uh, teaching strategies. So for example, you can, you can imagine somebody trying to learn a particular task, right? Let's say they're trying to uh, figure out how to, you know, how to solve something, or, you know, how to how to how to do a particular yeah. task. If they make a mistake, if you're able to give them immediate feedback about that mistake, right? Then they will be able to learn much better than if you don't give them appropriate feedback or if the feedback is very much delayed. So it turns out that. The way the dopaminergic system works is that there is an optimal time yeah. at which you you need you need to get that feedback, and and so I think in that sense we must think very carefully in terms of education. Are we giving students the the correct feedback and you know the appropriate kind of feedback right. that is actually helping them learn? Yeah, it. it um, I, I'm no I'm no expert in this area, Vikram. I'm just speculating here. It also sounds to me, if you abstract this, you know, you say the brain comes with a basic operating system. And, and right. part of that basic operating system is this learning process that, that you have demonstrated. Um, and so if, if a student is left alone, uh, this right. learning system, we know that this learning system is there, right? Uh, move right. forward. Now, if you put some apps, so to speak, uh, on right. that on that machine, if those apps are in conflict uh, with with this basic learning system, then that could that could lead to complications over time. I would think. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I completely agree with you, and that's uh, that's where I think it's very important to to figure out the you know the right kind of feedback as well. Right. The right, so and I can, right timing, you know, one of the things yeah. that, that seems to be happening, you know, uh, countries like Finland and other Scandinavian countries, there seems to be going back from prescriptive education uh, yeah. and essentially giving students more freedom, uh, more freedom to learn. Um, right. And I, I often felt that in the U.S. and, and uh, other systems, uh, we have gone in a direction that everything is sort of, you know, um, uh, very highly prescribed, and and if you do yeah. that, perhaps you know systems like this that's already in the in the brain may not have a chance to perform actually. Yeah, I think I think trial and error learning is extremely powerful, yeah. right? And so I think allowing students to explore in a in a in a safe environment. I think can be very effective. And so I think the key here is that you want students to explore yeah. without fear, right? So so if you make a mistake, then you want to you want to get the feedback that you know it was a mistake, but you don't want to get this massive negative yeah. affect, right? Like you don't you don't want to be disappointed. Yeah. In, in, so I think in a lot of education, what happens is that we punish mistakes. That's right. Yeah. Right? And I think there's a big difference between punishing mistakes and giving feedback that it was a mistake. Yeah. So I think that is very important for effective education. Because if you punish them, then they would not want to try. Because you, you see what I'm getting at? Like they, they wouldn't want to explore. Yeah. So you're going to shut down the whole 
exploration system. But that's not what you want to do. You want students to explore and make mistakes and learn from their mistakes. Yeah. So I think it's important that they should know that it's okay to make mistakes and how we can learn from them. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I think, you know, the, the feedback, um, feedback here is important because unlike the, the zebra finch experiment where uh, the brain itself is self-correcting, uh, in an education context, it is possible that the student does not know um, you know, if it was a mistake or not, because there may not be any feedback. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sometimes, sometimes they, yeah, sometimes they may not know. But you'd be surprised. Like often, you know, if you if you watch kids, they, I think they're natural scientists. <laughs> a lot of a lot of children, like the way they explore the world, yeah. I think is very close to what professional scientists actually do. We're just a little bit more organized. <laughs> Uh, but if you watch kids, they often they they often come up with hypotheses about what might happen, and then they try various things, and they and they learn how the world works. And I think that natural trial and error learning process yeah. is is very powerful. But I think, as you said, a lot of formal education tries to tries to shut that down. Try to shut that down, yeah. So it has some implications. So in conclusion, uh, Vikram, I know that you're you're looking at other possibilities here so uh, what would be your sort of next um next uh, area of focus in, in this uh, in this arena yeah so we're we're actually very excited about uh, looking at the female songbird so this again uh, goes back to your previous question right so everything we've talked about so far is how how you evaluate your own performance right so you're you're learning how to play a song, you're listening to yourself, you're evaluating yourself, and you're learning from your mistakes. And then we talked about performing this in front of an audience. Now the question is, what what is the audience doing? (laughs) Right? Right? So if you go and listen to a music concert as a member of the audience, you are also evaluating the performance in some way. Right? You, you like certain performances, you don't like certain others. What is happening in your brain while you're listening to a performance? Mm-hmm. That is something that we, we know very little about. Mm-hmm. Right? And again, the Songbird system is a really cool system to ask the question from the perspective of the audience, because as I was saying, these male birds, they learn to sing so they can perform to a female, yeah. but the female, needs to evaluate the male song and decide if that song is attractive or not, right? And and these birds are socially monogamous. So which means that if the female thinks that the male song is attractive and decides to mate with him, then she's going to pair up with him for life. And so this decision whether to mate with him or not, depending on whether she finds his song attractive or not, is perhaps one of the most important decisions she will ever make in her life. And and yet we know very little about how she's actually doing this. What is is going on inside the female brain? Yeah, so this goes to, again, is there some sort of information content in the... Exactly, exactly. Exactly. This was what you brought up really early on. And, and yeah, and I asked you to hold that thought because, because we're going to come to it. And yeah, thanks for reminding me. So exactly what this, this is sort of an age old yeah. question, right? Like from poets and philosophers alike have wondered, what is the purpose of birdsong, right? You're walking along a park and you, you listen to all these beautiful songbirds singing and, and you ask yourself, what why are they singing what is what is the purpose are they communicating something and so it, it's a very deep question in in some sense and so we, we we are beginning to have certain clues about what might be going on so for example in zebra finches as i was saying the moment a male sees a female he goes into this performance mode yeah. right and one of the characteristics of the performance mode is this reduced variability yeah. So the song becomes extremely stereotyped. 
And it turns out that the female also likes to listen to stereotype mm-hmm. songs compared to variable <laughs> right. songs. Yeah. So she's actually, she cares a lot about whether the male can hit the same note again and again in exactly the same way. Right, right. Right. And so we know this from behavioral studies. And so the idea, or you know, this is a speculative idea, but but one idea is that it's very difficult to produce a stereotyped complex motor right. sequence. Right. And if you can produce a complex song in exactly the same way again yeah. and again, that speaks to something about the quality of your neural circuits. So it is an honest signal of the quality of the male's brain, just being able to do this. Right, right, exactly. So, you know, if you look at other exhibitions uh, in the courtship context, you know, like feathers and other type of, there is always a question of health. Um, Exactly. And that that is sort of a decision decision factor, right? in there so yeah so that that makes that makes sense to me that yeah if you can reproduce something uh, there's a there's aspect of memorization there there's an aspect of skill overall that uh, points to um a better better male yeah exactly and i think even in even in humans we often like like good musicians of course of course, they need to be able to do much more than than produce the same song in exactly the same way. You know, we can talk about improvisation and creativity and all that. But at a fundamental yeah. level, you, it's it's hard to be a good musician if you are not able to keep the same beat in exactly the same way, right? And and I think that at a fundamental level is is speaks to to the quality of your uh, of your brain of your neural circuits, and I, so. So that's a very compelling yeah. idea. It's it's pretty speculative, but but I think in terms of the evolutionary angle, uh, I know that you're you're interested in the evolutionary angle of things, and you yeah. often ask about you know selection pressures and stuff. So in terms of sexual yeah. selection, this could be why the the females are interested in that, and 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 why the males are going you know going out of right. their way. To, to produce this stereotype song. Yeah, so, so one uh, interesting question also would be to, is the female interested in lower variance and less concerned about the content? Um, I, I, I don't know, you know, this is right. uh, measurable, but uh, you know, if the, if the female is really measuring the male's ability to reduce variance, and that is you know, obviously uh, that means that uh, it, it is able to learn um, learn systematically. Um, maybe the yeah. the content itself doesn't matter. In other words, you know, suppose you train a a male bird uh, with an error in the sea, right? Does right. the right. female right. actually accept that? Even you know, if the male yeah. is able to produce that over and over again without any variance. Yeah, that's a very important, very important and complex question, and and I think there are no simple answers here. But but I will say that there are a few different ways in which you can look at this. So so you are absolutely right in one sense because so let's see what is the male trying to do? Right, the male is trying to to make a copy of his father's song. Yeah. Right, so he's trying to sing as similar to his father as he can. But the female might never even have heard of this male's father's song. So when she listens to this, the male song, she might be more interested in how he is singing (laughs) the song than what exactly he is singing. So it might matter less which song you pick to sing and more important, how well you sing it. Right. But on the other hand, it can also be argued that the content is important because if you sing an extremely simple song, then it might not be very <laughs> impressive if you sing it in exactly the yeah. same way. Yeah. You know, if you have like a song with a single <laughs> syllable, then with no complexity, then it's almost like stuttering. You're just making the same sound again right. and again 
but that might not be very impressive. So I think it is a combination of complexity and stereotypy that um, that the female is looking for. And 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 I should also say that this is with zebra finches, right? There are other birds that have very different systems. So you you know, a zebra, the zebra finch is a very simple songbird, if you will, and it's great for neuroscience because it's simple. So it has a single song, it never changes that song, and it just sings that same song for mm -hmm. all its life. But there are other songbirds that have, you know, like nightingales, you know, that have many different songs. Some songbirds have hundreds of songs in their mm -hmm. repertoires, and they can pick and choose which song to sing to which female, and they can really put on a show. <laughs> And so those females might, you know, be evaluating something much more complex than what the zebra finch female is doing. But I think that this is a this is a great entry point uh, because of the simplicity that we can start getting at some fundamental principles of how we evaluate the actions of others. And then once we have that understanding, then we can increase the complexity yeah, of our questions. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, this has been great, Vikram. Thanks so much for spending time with me. Uh, thank you so much for having thank me. You. This is a Scientific Sense podcast providing unscripted conversations with leading academics and researchers on a variety of topics. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast, please reach out to info at scientificsense.com.